بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so last time we spoke we were going through the first half of the verse of the throne Ayat Al-Kursi and so today we can take a look inshallah at the second half and depending on, on how that conversation goes, we may even get to the next conversation. Hey, hey, Samia, where do you go to school? Uh, me, I go to UMKC, University oh. of Missouri, Kansas City. Okay. Uh, do, you, do I have any relatives, as far as you know, at KCU? At KCU? Um, I think Samina was saying Dania. I think Dania might go oh really okay i actually actually don't know though that would be something like to ask samina about okay yeah because donnie in this class is a kcu as well oh gotcha well you two can be friends you know yeah um how cool would it be though if the other donnie went to kcu that would be actually perfect yeah yeah all righty so back to Ayatul Kursi. Let's see if, once again, my technological skills succeed here. So, Nod, if you see Ayatul Kursi on your screen, please. Okay. Or in Adnan's case, give me a thumbs up. Okay. So, <clears throat> last time we spoke about the first half or so of this ayah, Allah, there is no God but Him, Al Hay, Al Ayyum the living, the eternal, slumber, neither slumber nor sleep overtakes him. And for him is the skies and what is in is what is in the skies and what is in the earth. Who is it that can intercede with him with his permission or with uh, without his permission? Uh, and then... We get to Ya'lamu ma bayna aidihim wa ma khalfahum wa la yuhituna bishayin min ilmihi ila bi So he knows what is before them and what is behind them. Which again, I think is consistent with how we imagine Allah uh, uh, overall. So that uh, it is harder to, to pull other ideas from, but let's continue. And they do not encompass anything of his knowledge except for what he wills. And then wasia kursiyuhu. So his seat extends the skies and the earth, and that we will talk about. And it does not tire him to guard it all, to guard the two. And he is the most high and the most great. Again. Just about everything here, if not everything, is what we commonly think of when we think of Allah, even without Ayatul Kursi. But the fact of Ayatul Kursi being re- recited so many times in our day or our week or a year, uh, most of this is, is repetition. Nevertheless, <clears throat> let's go through it piece by piece. He knows what is before them and what is behind them. Uh, how is that different than saying that Allah knows all. So Allah could have just as easily said, Wahua al-Alim, and he is the all-knowing. 
But what's being stated here is he knows what is before them and what is behind them. Dr. Ahunt, what can you share with us? Um, maybe he's talking within the construct of time. Okay. Perhaps like what is in the past and what is in the future. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very nice. Especially if we're speaking of things related to the cosmos, the skies, and the earth. What else? He noticed what is before them and what is behind them. But I think the time thing is, is a very wise analysis or a very wise insight. I take Mabaina um, ID him kind of literally. So like between my hands is like my heart and my head. So oh, like nice. knowing literally what's how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Mm. And then I actually, this one is a little weird. I don't take this one like as literally, but I mean, this is like, I take it as like everything in the past as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Donnie can explain this point about ID him. This is a, this is a very common idiom in Arabic that's often translated as in front of them, but explain the point you're making. Um, so like Ma ID him, you, you can't say like what's before them or what's in front of them, but I'm I take it literally to mean like yed as in hands. Mm -hmm. Um so what's between the hands or what's between like my arms literally is like my heart and my head. So like my brain and my heart. So what's going on, how I'm feeling and how I'm thinking or what I'm thinking. Yeah, the, the text that that is is almost always translated as whatever is in front of them literally is what is between your hands. And this is the point that, that, that Donnie is making. So. Any other thoughts, reflections? Why say it this way, as opposed to Allah knows all? I would say that part of the uh, what we find in this ayah is essentially a response and refutation. So Stephanie made the point the other day that, um, that when we're saying in this ayah that Allah is neither overtaken by slumber or drowsiness or sleep, this runs completely in contrast to the notion of God's, uh, God's resting on the seventh day, that he needs not to rest. And then we see that repeatedly at the end of the ayah, it does not tire him to operate and to guard everything. And so here, this is also emphasizing the knowledge of God is in everything. Everything that was, everything that will be. Okay, let's go to the next point. Iqbazab. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I just want to add one thing here regarding the Christian way of saying, and somebody mentioned other day, about seventh day the rest, right? But if you see that uh, chain of sequence from Muslim lenses, right? It sounds like it's basically saying the same thing as we have been. What our understanding is that he, he raised to the arsh, right? Something like that. But the seventh day for them is, is like they took some little literal meaning and says, oh, he rested. And he was just taking it uh, literally that he just rested basically. He didn't do anything as if like he did a rest. So can you like kind of relate something from, uh, you know, our understanding of reading those versus what Christian, you know, generally, you know, 
uh, understood that uh, verses from Bible. So I, I hope I clear my point. Uh, I think so. Uh, so we can expect that in the history of Christianity, you'd have the whole spectrum of interpretations. And one is, yes, that God rested on that day. Another is that that is the prescription for people, that just like you have the people of the, the Sabbath, the Sabbath, you are not supposed to work, that then people are prescribed not to work on the day of the Sabbath. And so this is why we have thus um, for Jews on Saturday and Christians on, Christians on Sunday that the day is supposed to be spent in, in uh, worship. Meaning on the one hand, it could be speaking of a law, uh, or I'd say the supreme being, but um, resting, or it could be speaking of the need for rest. And then you'll find many Christians who will read that, especially for today, as a prescription that the goal, the job is to rest and focus on worship as opposed to focusing on dunya. Make sense? Yes, sir. Okay. A couple comments here. Is the idea of Allah not needing a rest a direct response to Christianity? I do think it is in part. Okay. Or uh, probably more of a response to, to Judaism of the time. Uh, I think it is more of a direct response to more polytheistic mythologies, like how some mythologies have their gods doing regular human things like sleeping. Well, this gets into the relationship uh, in terms of formation of Christianity with, with, um, with polytheistic origins, right? That is one of the, the arguments. So we have Easter coming up, which uh, goes along with the vernal equinox. And then, you know, we have the Christmas with the, um, I forgot the, the title, but they are made aligned with um, with pagan holidays, right? And then some will go even argue that the the deification of Isai Islam is continuous with the Roman emperors of that time. Um, so it could actually be both in that way. Stephanie, puzzle meaning in front of the things we are aware of and we can sense behind it, the things we can't see behind us, the things that we are not aware of. Yeah, I think that absolutely works. So. Christmas Saturnalia. Yeah, I mean, even think about the days of the week. Sunday is the day of the sun. Monday is the day of the moon. I forgot what Tuesday is and Wednesday. Thursday is the day of Thor. I forgot what Friday is. And then Saturday is the day of Saturn. Yeah. And so the whole legacy is still there. And even if you think of our calendar, uh, our calendar where we're saying it's the year 2022, when did the calendar start getting used? Right around the 1600s with Pope Gregory, um, synonymous with the era of the beginning of imperialism. And think of September should be what? The seventh month. October should be the eighth month. November should be the ninth month. December should be the 10th month. But why are they 9, 10, 11, 12? Because we inserted a month for Julius Caesar and for Augustus Caesar, making it 12. So, so. Whoever stores mom is supposed to. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, maybe. Yeah. All righty. <clears throat> and so, again, the, the point I'm drawing our attention to uh, Elias. Who's Elias? It's actually Abu Elias. Oh, mashallah. We have a here uh, with us. Yes, sir. So, question uh, like, uh, could that be that? Allah is talking about their deeds because we're going to receive our book with either you know, behind our backs or in front of us. Mm -hmm. So could that be referring to... I would say, I would say absolutely. 
Now, so all the theories that we're giving, you know, one is related to time, one is related to position, one is related to deeds. How do you test this? One way you test it is in the context of the ayah itself. Does the ayah give us any hint of what it could be referring to? Second, then we look in the Quran. So all the suggestions you've all given, I think it, we can find support in the Quran itself. But what about in the ayah itself? Right before this is intercession. And right after this is more about Allah's knowledge. Can we, uh, and then after that is his power, his throne. Can that give us any hint on what is meant by what is before them, what is behind them? I think uh, uh, the, the point of the deeds can be supported by the fact that it comes right after the mention of intercession. Right, that what is it that I'm going to be held to? What is it that is going? I will be facing on the day of judgment. At the bare minimum, I'm going to be facing my deeds, the consequence of my deeds. But hopefully, better than that would be some sort of intercession or the mercy of God. And your thoughts when we put these different parts of the eye together, and maybe it'll be easier if I actually draw it out for us. Um, Can you all see the, the other screen? Yeah. And while I'm writing, uh, Ahant. Um, so on the topic of deeds, um, you know, uh, if you pair like deeds and like intercession together, um, you know, could that mean the deeds you can perceive? The, the deeds that you don't like know you did? Is that is that too much of a stretch? Like, I mean, is- again, all these things, I would say if they don't contradict the text, uh, then they're worth considering. And so then what we look for is what seems to line up with the immediate ayah or the context of the ayahs or the Quran itself. Right? And do we have reference in our sources of the deeds that we don't realize we've done? Absolutely. Um, so, keep on. So what is the, the consensus among the scholars, uh, you know, per se, on, on what this... Uh, that, I, in the context of this ayah, I haven't looked it up. And so, um, so I'll say Allah knows best. But let me, uh, but let's still go through this other exercise of going through all the different parts here. So in Ayatul Kursi, we have the mention of Allah, no God, but Him. The living and the self subsisting or eternal. And then from there, um, no need for drowsiness nor sleep for him is all in the earth and skies or in the earth and the heavens and the earth 
actually that should be reversed. And then who can intercede? Without his permission. He knows what is before and after that. Okay. So looking at this line of speaking, any thoughts on other possible reflections of what is before and what is after that? Or what is in, I should say, what is before and what is behind them? If that changes things. Dr. Ahant. Could it be, you know, um, my intention is uh, drawn to like his attributes of the living and uh, self-subsisting again. Mm-hmm. In, in in that case, um, you know, um, another possibility that could be that for those who have passed, that for those who are uh, uh, who are yet mm-hmm. to be, you know, you know uh, born. I would say that'd be absolutely consistent with many passages in the Quran as well. Yeah. Right, those people who have come and gone, they will have what they have earned. You will have what you have earned. Cool. Yeah, and one common like you know denominator uh through all that is Allah where you know uh he's the only one that you know eternally lives mm-hmm. okay so let's go to this next passage so <clears throat> he knows what is before them and what is behind them and they have nothing of his knowledge Accept what he wills. So Allah controls all knowledge, literally all knowledge, of which we have nothing except for Allah shares. So again, this is something that we all already know that Allah is all-knowing. We have two references here to his knowledge now. What is before them, what is behind them, they have nothing except for what he wills. So if we look at each of these parts as either an affirmation of Allah or a refutation of others that are taken as gods, no God but him is an affirmation as well as a ref- uh, as a refutation. There is no God but him. You take other gods, they're not God. Okay. He dies, he's, he does not die, he's not dependent on anything. He is living. Okay. In fact, he's the primary of the living. No need for rest. Okay. He is the owner of all. He is the inheritor of all. So he's the originator, the owner, the inheritor of all. There are no daughters. 
that you cannot assign daughters to God. You cannot assign sons to God. And thus there's intercession only as he allows. And then here is soothsayers. So people who claim, like in our, in our culture, we call them psychics, right? People who claim to have an inside track. And they is, Allah knows what is in front of them and what is behind them. But they have no share of, so to speak, what is in front of him, what is behind him, speaking metaphorically here, except as he shares. So I would say in the context of this ayah, it's another refutation of any person or any being real or imaginary that people give uh, associated with the level of divinity. This is another refutation of a different shirk. Make sense? This does not refute all the different uh, suggestions you've all given because I think they're all consistent over and over again with the Quran. But in this context, in this specific ayah, I think as a suggestion, it's especially speaking about anything that we give divine qualities to throughout the history of, hu of humanity, like in this, in this specific moment, soothsayers and psychics. Okay. And then finishing off, Wasia, his throne extends over the heavens and the earth. over the skies and the earth. Okay. What is meant? What do we infer? What do we understand by throne? And let's make this more interesting. So there's this teaching, and some of you have had class with me, you've heard this from me before. Uh, imagine you have a ring in the middle of the desert. Okay, like a wedding ring in the middle of the desert. Now imagine that ring is the universe okay, in terms of size. And the desert is a, is a common angel in its natural form. Okay. Now imagine that common angel is the ring and the desert is a major angel like Jibril or Israfil or Mikhail, right? Gabriel, Michael, so on and so on. Now imagine that ring is a major angel, but the desert is the throne of God. So that's just to give an idea of trying to, I mean, we're speaking of a realm that's beyond size, but if we're trying to comprehend size, universe, small angel, big angel, throne of Allah, ring in the desert, ring in the desert, ring in the desert, so forth and so on. So what is the throne? Ahant. I mean, in terms of the throne, um, you know, to me, like what you, from like what you just expressed is maybe it means, you know, uh, influence or like jurisdiction. The general understanding for throne is power in, in uh, what's the word? Um, authority. authority. Okay. Yeah. So jurisdiction would be included in that. 
but then we have these fascinating passages. His throne is over the water. How would we interpret something like that? How do we understand something like that? So water is one of those fascinating things like light among the most fascinating of all creation, aside from human beings, you know, Quran class teachers. But the point here is that uh, light seems to have uh, very much of its own rules and water is a little bit different than most liquids in terms of its rules. And if you remove water, then you remove life. And so awesome saying he has dominion over that which gives life, which means he's essentially the source of life. Inshallah, yeah. Cool. And then we have the hadith narrations where in terms of the, the phases of the day of judgment, like the first phase of the day of judgment is this global cataclysm where you're waking up and it's as though you're in the middle of multiple worst earthquakes in the history of the universe. And you're totally disoriented and terrified to the point that you don't even care about about your children what to think of your Quran teacher but the point here is that it's massive chaos all your hair is going to turn beautifully white but then from there we have the gathering where everybody of humanity who's now been resurrected is going to be coming together as the earth has reformed setting the stage of the day of judgment and then people discover Adam salam. They turn to him, hey, help us, help us get out of this. And he's saying, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And then go to him. And then they go to Nuh alayhi salam. He said, I can't help you. They go to Ibrahim alayhi salam. They keep going down the list until they get to Muhammad, peace be upon him, who then does sajda. He prostrates. And his prostration will feel like it's a week long. And then he'll get up from his prostration and he will see that Allah has arrived with his throne and the angels. What could that mean? Thoughts? So one way to think about the other side, especially the day of judgment, is those things that in this world are conceptual, they will have what seems to be physical form in the day of judgment. An example of this is that we're taught that if you uh, break a relationship you know, without justification, like a break a relationship with your relative without justification, Allah will break a relationship with you. But part of it is that Allah is going to speak to the relationship. And so even death is going to be coming in a physical form on the day of judgment or what, you know, what in our language we call a physical form. And so his majesty, his authority, his throne on that side will have a physical form. So that which in this world we're speaking of as metaphorical, referring to something, will have some sort of physical form on the other side. This is a very common reading. Stephanie. So with what you just um, described, this is interesting. I, I remember having heard that, that your, your thighs will testify against you or your footsteps or things like that. Is, yes. is that in line with what you're talking about? Exactly. 
Yes. Your body parts will testify against you. Dania. Oh, so Dania, my, my cousin responded. And indeed, uh, my cousin Dania uh, was a student there. She completed her master's there. So you two might have bumped into each other, giving each other like a salam, and then just went your separate ways, never to know your connections. But anyway, back to Two class. Dania's together. That would have been incredible. Imagine. How do you even say Dania in plural? Dania Tan? I mean, it's an adjective. You can't really make it a... <laughs> Anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, I had a question for you, actually. When you say it becomes its physical form, do you mean like a literal physical form or we can finally appreciate it? Saying the language seems to be that it's a thing we will see and a thing that will communicate. So I'm using physical form in the context of how we understand this world. So one of the questions I received directly, are you saying that Allah will take a physical form? We will see Allah. Now, what does that mean? Don't know. So for all these things, what are the specifics? What will uh, actually be? We say bilakayf, like we just really don't know how. But it is a thing that a lot of these things that in this world are either in the realm of the unseen or are concepts, they will have some sort of visible, active quality. And so I'm using for convenience physical form. Oh. And so this throne in this dunya, it is commonly understand, understood to mean his authority, his power, his majesty. Think of everything associated with thrones. Let me put it a different way. A lot of the language of the Quran is coming in a couple of different universes. One, there's a lot of language that is the language of agriculture. So kafir, kafara is related to bearing a seed, right? Falah as in success is cultivation or related to the language of merchandise, uh, commerce. You know, oh, you who believe shall I give you a trade that'll, that'll you know, that'll never fail, right? Tijara. Or it's, uh, it's uh, imported from previous traditions, Judaism and Christianity. Like for example, Salah and Zakah are believed to be words that have come from Syriac, which is scholarly Aramaic, or many of the names Jibril, Mikhail, Musa, Isa are coming from Hebrew and such, right? When speaking of Allah, however, a lot of the language is the language of monarchy. And so when Allah uses even the royal we speaking about himself, in just about every case, it's him speaking in the context of bestowing something in his majesty. Or there's an ayah, ayah 26 of al-Baqarah that, you know, it's kind of an awkward translation, but Allah is not shy to give you examples from a gnat or a bug or anything above that. And so there it's, um, uh, what are we saying? That in terms of the conduct of a king, so we have in our whole history books that are scholars are giving advice to kings how you should conduct yourself, that the king should also have their own type of manners and shyness to the point that some kings are advised you should not, the lay people should not even see their face. So if you go to the Topkapi Palace in Turkey, you'll see this one room where the advisors, the ministers will talk to the king, but they don't actually see him. The king will speak through a veil. So the point being that throne is something metaphorically when we associate with the king, we're talking about the, the, uh, the power, the majesty, the authority, the ownership of the king, the way in our world we might speak of the White House. 
but the language and the universe of of the president is very different than the king. The king is almost very often uh, not a mere human, but something a special mortal, perhaps even often connected to divinity, right? Whether we're talking about the the emperor of of Japan or kings in Europe, and many of the sultans were looked at as the shadows of God on earth. Yeah. And then on top of that, the, the president in our society is considered to be the first among equals, that the president is a citizen, is a civilian, is not military, is not any of these things, it's just a regular person. And that's very much part of the, the modern approach to, to leadership and such. Okay, so thus, this is how the throne is commonly read. To, to add to this, we have other, other references to God that seem to be anthropomorphic. Hey, I just use anthropomorphic. I just use a big word. So idea of like Allah's face, wherever you turn, there is the face of Allah. And you can read that as wherever you turn, Allah's looking at you, or wherever you turn, Allah's welcoming you, metaphorically. Or when we're speaking of Allah's hands, it'll be commonly understood to mean Allah's power. What do they mean? Uh, by Allah, what does Allah mean by them? Allah knows best, but these are how they're commonly uh, understood. Uh, I received a message, can Christians say that Christ is divine bila kaif? Why are we able to say that out of, about certain things, but Christians can't about the divinity of Christ? Nice question. <clears throat> so so part of this is essentially because the Quran is saying in one place that it's kufr. Right? Uh, but I think it is an argument that is worth considering because the thing, a way to think about it is uh, for a Christian, God is monotheist God. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost are one inseparable. And so one way to try to reconcile that through a Muslim lens is to say that this is how the self-disclosure of God in Christianity happens by way of a physical son. The self-disclosure of God uh, in Islam happens by the way of his qadr, you know, the way he makes everything happen. Excuse me, can you explain what what that meant, Bilakif? Oh, sorry, Bilakif is basically, you know, we don't know how. We, we say this is a thing without knowing how. So literally without, uh, or like uh, like without the means or without uh, the, the method, we don't know how. And so that so the way we say Allahu Alam for everything, God knows best, for matters of theological speculation, also Bilakif is added to just about everything when there's a, a claim of something that is perhaps literal, you know, like God having hands. And we say, yes, he has hands because he says he has hands, but we don't know what that means. Yeah. Okay, very good. Finishing off the ayah. So they do not comprehend of his knowledge except what he wills. His throne except extends over everything, and then it does not tire him. to preserve, to guard it all. And guard means preserve. Okay. He is Ali and Azim. So he is the most high and he is the most majestic, the greatest. Okay. Again, what we commonly, uh, this is all still very common for us. Ahant. So what I've been, you know, uh, at least trying to do uh, this Ramadan was 
is when I uh, read the Quran or at least the translation of the Quran, uh, 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 sort of analyze it, uh, you know, I, I try to see, okay, how can uh, this ayah or this verse you know, give me tranquility with my situation right now? <laughs> so, so if you can like, you know, uh, look at this from like, you know, like this lens and like Allah's throne, it's, it's as if, if you're with like Allah, then his commands then you know you are with the throne you know um so like is a like is that like is the is the angle of allah's power giving you you know giving your heart peace a you know a legit angle to this i would say if we add the next few ayahs then the point you're making is especially reinforced so there's a very famous ayah, there's no compulsion in deen. The correct way to distinguish is clear from the wrong. Okay. And so if you reject the wrong ways and believe in Allah, you have a firm grasp or a better, a firm handhold that will never break. If you turn to Allah, if you rely upon Allah, if you throw yourself powerless before the one who has all power, this is a handhold that he will never break. You may, but he will not. He will never abandon you. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Chill. Yeah. It goes further. He'll take you from darkness into light. He's a protector of those who believe. Takes them out of the depths of darkness into light. And so even these next few ayahs can be looked at as a commentary on Ayatul Kursi. So the basic point being that Allah is unrelenting in the controller of all. And if you turn to him, he is giving you protection and taking care of you. Nonstop. Alrighty. So he is, it does not tire him to guard uh, everything. So at the beginning we said he is um, uh, sleep and slumber, do not overtake him. There is an interesting idea called the ring theory. Anybody familiar with this regarding interpretation of the Quran? So this is, uh, it's a very loose theory that works in a loose way, where if you take any surah, uh, the beginning and the end sort of parallel each other. And you can almost see the surah as concentric circles. And that sort of applies here. So you have Allah, there is no God but him, the living, the self-sustaining, or uh, no God but him. Here, let's even put it with numbers. That this ring theory also kind of applies here. So all this is one, and this is one. Right, that he is most high. And this is two, and this is two. And this is three, and this is three. Right, for him is all the skies in the earth. His throne extends over everything. And then here, this is more of basically the middle. We might call this whole thing four, speaking about his knowledge. So it's not super precise, but it still kind of works. That the beginning and the end of the ayah are speaking of Allah's greatness. Uh, 
and he does not tire. And then all is owned by him. And in the middle, he controls intercession and he has all knowledge. Okay. So it kind of works. If you do this with al-Baqarah as well, it kind of works. Meaning not super precise, it's more qualitative than, than quantitative, but still it is it is a, an interesting structure that we find over and over again in the Quran. Stephanie. Uh, it's really uh, interesting how the middle ayah is he knows what is before them and behind them. And oh, it's, snap. It's like the what's before it and what's after it. It's, it's like a mirror. Mm -hmm. Beautiful point. Should we make it even more fun? So what's the, how many ayahs are there in Surat Al-Baqarah? Anybody know? 286. So middle ayah, we have made you a moderate community, a just community, a community of the middle way. Oh, snap. Okay. Does this actually teach me anything? Not really, but it is a pretty cool thing to reflect upon that the structure of the Quran is often concentric circles. Another way to look at the structure of the Quran is also a tree formation, like the way we spoke about Al-Fatiha being the roots and Al-Baqarah and Al-Imran being the, the, the trunk and then the rest of the surahs branching out as trees. So that works at the same time too. Alrighty. So, Asim. Um, yeah, I wanted to quickly ask about that ring theory thing. Is, is the idea then that the sort of climax of these ayahs and surahs is in the middle or should we... Uh, like, is that the most heavily emphasized point or are the other points uh, more emphasized because of their repetition? Mm. Uh, I'd say try all of these as theses. I haven't come to a satisfactory answer myself. Okay. Because we are saying this ayah, Ayatul Kursi, is sort of the pinnacle of the entire Quran. And using any of those structural theories, it's hard to figure out how to place it. Does... Does this uh, ring theory hold for the Quran as a whole then? So the middle of the Quran, I want to say, is Surat al-Kahf, I think. Uh, but someone can double check and correct me. I've given away all my mushaf, so I can't. Whatever page 300 is. Anybody have a mushaf with a normal numbering? Let's see what is it? Whatever surah is page 300. Donnie's going to go look it up for us. Um. And, and a follow-up question, if so, uh, what is the corresponding sort of ayah to Ayatul Kursi? Oh, you mean wherever it would be in the other side of the ring? Exactly. Uh, that I don't know. There is another ayah in Surat al-Baqarah that we will get to, inshallah, that's considered to be sort of a corresponding ayah, Ayatul Dir, which comes earlier. And we can see how that works out in terms of the, the numbers. Yeah, it is uh, Surat al-Kahf. Um, so, uh, maybe there is something interesting there. So. so there, what is that? That is more trying to derive meaning by way of the structure of the text, as opposed to the words, which is something we don't see as much in history. We see it much more in the modern analysis because so, it's more philosophical as opposed to action oriented. Much of the history of our commentary is either action oriented or super abstract speculation which is where you find theology 
even like you know the the legend of the Ghazali killed philosophy. I think Ghazali's criticism of philosophy, part of it was the conclusions sometimes were untenable, but part of it is that it's abstract, it's not practical, it's not giving us anything to do, as opposed to just saying it's a bad thing. All righty, uh, we are going to shift starting to uh, Monday, so we won't have class tomorrow because I have to go to a thing. But uh, Monday we will shift to the prophet, peace be upon him. And so more or less for about a week we did, we looked at ayahs related to Allah Ta'ala, and then we're going to spend more or less, give or take about a week, focus on the Prophet, peace be upon him, and then the community, inshallah, and then we will see where we go from there. Either we're going to go uh, focus on the self or the day of judgment. I still have to decide, depending on how our conversations go. And I actually have to run to Tahura to pick up the students' iftars before they all find me and kill me. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. Wa natubu ilayk, and we turn to you. May Allah Ta'ala reward you all, inshallah, and we'll see you on Monday, not tomorrow, but on Monday. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.